0: Hey there, sports fan, welcome to the DraftSite Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts, brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full-round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to DraftSites Podcast. Tonight we have a special, special guest. We have Frankie, we have DJ, we have Zach, and myself, Jared Belson. Frankie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, uh, first first and foremost, I'm one of the biggest Cowboys fans you'll meet. I was uh, fortunate to get to both Giants games this year, which we did take down the New York Giants. But I don't want to get beaten up. So, you know, I'll I'll take a backseat with the Cowboys for a minute. But uh, I am a New York Tri-State area boy and been been a Cowboys man for 22 years now. Um, I, you know, very passionate about the organization. But I do respect the Giants, the Patriots, and, uh, several others, the Seahawks, you know, even the Packers, although it was a very bitter end of the season. But, uh, we're gearing up for, you know, the NFL draft and retooling, see who we can sign, hopefully Dez, DeMarco, and, uh, move on from there. And see, see if we can get back into contention next year, get to the NFC Championship game. Zach, you're about to a- uh, Frankie. Yeah, I'm telling you, Frankie may have scored below a thousand on his SAT. And I think you said it best when you said he is he is a very, very special. Eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Yeah, right. Uh rounding up two hundred points. Uh but he, he does know his football. He does know his football. He's very, very passionate about football. And I thought he'd just be a, a you know, a, a voice for the common man. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes with me and DJ it gets a little too academic, you know. <laughs> so I thought we'd bring in Johnny. Frankie, I mean. Zach, I think you're giving um, yourself too much credit, but all right. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: I'm thinking New York area guy, Cowboy fan. I'm thinking he's probably going to be working on uh, Chris Christie's uh, presidential campaign run is, is what it sounds oh, like Oh,
0: boy, our snack man right there. <laughs> snack bar Christie, yeah. Hey, I, I could be, you know, I could be. But I am one of the more humble Cowboys fans. I'm not so in your face when I go to Giants Stadium. I cover up my, you know, all my tattoos and stuff. No, but all my paraphernalia, I don't like to get beaten up. So, you know, I like, I do enjoy discussing – Football at great length, which I
1: do in fact yeah, all the time. So. I definitely respect Chris. Definitely respect Chris Christie uh, staying with his roots there, and that that whole kind of controversy that was a non-controversy. I'm I'm really glad that he didn't just bow down and say, "Oh, I'm going to root for the team that's in the area." Good, you know, good for him. Uh, I think yeah, he true. stood
0: up. I I appreciated it for sure. Yeah, it's about as non of a controversy as this Deflate Gate controversy that you can't hear enough of, Zach. I know you love talking about it. I like talking about it because I think it's a valid thing. Like, you know, guys like Brady with smaller hands who like to get, like, a little more skin when they're touching balls, uh, you know, they deflate it. Guys like Rodgers that, you know, have been playing with balls their whole life as well, like, you know, a firmer, bigger ball because it fits in his bigger hands. But I think it's about moisture. And I think Tony Romo said it best when he said it's really about moisture Cause, you know, he, he he likes his balls wet, and I think that helps him get, like, a good grip on it. But, you know, it's all it's all preference. Wow. Wow, you just took that to a whole new level there, Zach. <laughs> Frankie, what are your thoughts on this whole deflate gate thing? Deflate gate? I mean, there's something to be said about it more, I think, because it's about the third candle they've been in than anything else. If it were, you know, Even the Giants, Cowboys—I mean, probably not the Cowboys because they're you know never short on controversy. But I think if it were just a regular team, even like 49ers, it would have been buried in the first day or two. But I think it has so much substance because it's about the third time that they've fallen into something like this. And there's probably going to have to be someone's going to have to take the fall for this one. There's going to there's going to have to be some kind of suspension or fine, you know, high fine. But I also kind of sympathize with Sherman when he says that these guys are, you know, Gaddell's at Kraft's house they night before the NFC Championship game. It's a little just, even if that's okay, let's not make it so public where, you know, it looks a little uneasy for a lot of people. So it's not really sitting well with me. I'm tired of talking about it, to be honest. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of hearing about it, but let's get on with the Super Bowl, you know, and then, I don't know, put an asterisk on the Patriots' Super Bowl wins. Right. I think one of, our, one of our readers actually asked us what we think the ramifications of something like this would be, because the last time the Patriots got in trouble, they lost a first-round pick. Uh, so the question would be, you know, say, say they find out it's Tom Brady instructed the ball by to loosen some of the air out. Do you suspend Tom Brady, or do you take away a draft pick? What are your thoughts, D.J.?
1: It's probably going to be draft picks and a hefty fine, uh, hefty fine to the organization. And I say picks because this this could be multiple if they if they have already set the president with a first round pick, even though it's not the same offense. Uh, the Patriots are are well known to be team a team that pushes the barrier to the brink uh, per se. So I'm thinking maybe a first round pick and then possibly something in the uh, later rounds, maybe fourth or fifth, probably about a, a five hundred thousand dollar fine to the organization. And I and I think that I'm a little bit tired of talking about it too. But you can't tell me that this is the first time it's happened. Uh, there, there's been some suspicions of, of, of things like this going on. So, not saying it's done every game, but you gotta wonder. It, it would not have made a difference in that game against the Colts. But you know, if if say something like this happened in the game against the Ravens, could that have had an impact? Absolutely. And uh, what, what I've I've always told people and. I am I was waiting for someone to make a controversy out of this. What happens if the ball's under-deflated in the Dallas-Green Bay game? Does Des Bryant complete the catch because there's a little less air in the ball? Possibility. You never know. In a close game or, or something like that, it, it possibly could make a difference, but I'm sick of talking about it, too. I'd like to see Seattle just go out there, take care of business, and make it a non-issue.
0: My thoughts are the Patriots. I don't know if you remember, but uh, was it 2007 when the Spygate thing happened? I think they lost the pick where they broke pretty much every single record out there. <laughs> but I could see something like this just lighting a fire under the Patriots and them just going crazy and really unleashing fury on Seattle. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think a lot of people are starting to point to that. I think a lot of uh, people in the media are like, oh, this is probably the worst thing to happen to Seattle. But, I mean, I promise you it's not going to affect Seattle. I promise you New England's going to do nothing that surprises Seattle. And I still think Seattle wins this game. Um having Bobby Wagner back to to look after Shane Vereen, I mean, I really don't see them getting a run game going. I think they're going to get one-dimensional, and uh, I'm hoping for a close game, but I mean, I would not be surprised if Seattle does what they did last year and uh, runs away with it. It's a Super Bowl. You know, you could say, oh, well, the the Patriots are going to be so fired up. I mean, it's a Super Bowl. Um, There's no higher stakes in professional sports. Nothing like this. Richard Sherman is making remarks, because that's what Richard Sherman does, is make remarks, but I promise you, it's not going to change the way they anybody approaches the game. I think Seattle's feeling good about kind of proving everyone wrong, and, and they're still going into this series thinking they're underdogs. Frankie, who do you think is coming out of this one alive? I think Seattle loves their positions because they're getting no media attention. Pats are getting all of it, and Seattle is already very calm and cool for a young team. I mean, look at Russell Wilson. He's he carries himself like you know cool Joe, and he's going for back to back Super Bowls in his first three years. It's pretty ridiculous and unprecedented. And they wear his, you know, they wear his demeanor on their sleeves. Same with uh, with Sherman. I think they're completely fine. If anything, I, I agree with Zach. The the blowout could go Seattle's way. I don't think there's any blowout the pass way. So I'd I'd favor the favor the Seahawks by you know a touchdown. DJ, I have a feeling I know which way you're going, but I'd like to hear it anyway.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm going the way of Seattle. I'm thinking maybe it's a little bit closer just because I see Seattle getting out to a big lead and New, or- uh, New England scoring a couple of those garbage touchdowns late in the game or Seattle will just be trying to keep everyone in front of them and keep the clock going. Uh, if I'm prognosticating and picking a score here, I'm going to go 38-26 in favor of Seattle. I High scoring. I think the other thing that we're really going to have to see is that that last game, the the effectiveness of Clay Matthews again being that spy, and really kind of watching Russell Wilson. And I think that was a, a large part as to why Seattle's offense was so bogged down early in that game. A, a large um, portion of that offense depends on Russell Wilson creating things with his legs and opening opening up running lanes for for Marshawn Lynch and some, you know, getting out in the move and rolling out when teams are thinking about you know he's going to run and then he actually you know, hits a big play downfield. I think uh, Russell Wilson is really going to have to establish uh, some sort of running game, some cadence, some rhythm early in that game, and I think it's going to open up uh, some big plays there. And uh, we're probably going to see a, a defensive touchdown or two on the Seattle side of the ball. So I think uh, they, they step on New England early, and uh, New England gets some some garbage touchdowns late, but I like them by, uh, by 12 in this game.
0: What about you, Jared?
1: Give me some rationale why the Patriots win.
0: I don't know. You know, I hadn't actually made a choice yet on who I think was going to win this game. I, I think it's. I think the Patriots might, you know, try to do everything they can to stop the, you know, to to run it down their throat. And I think they're going to find that Seattle's a little vulnerable uh, in the middle. And next year, that's maybe where they're going to be focusing on the on the middle of their line, the defensive line, the draft. Um, and I think they're going to run the ball a lot more. And Seattle's going to be prepping for. You know, for the uh, for the past, but then again, Seattle's such a complete team this year. You know, New England's going to try to focus on stopping their run and force them to throw a little bit, and I think they have some shutdown corners. So, I'm going with New England by about seven. Um, I think you know they'll they'll get off to an early lead. Seattle will kind of make a comeback, but New England will end up holding them off, and I'm going to say 28-21, New England. All right, I like it. I like it. So I want to I want to go on to some of the emails that we received this week. Well, besides besides Rick, who just said uh, we're losers, we're gonna go <laughs> on to. Just, <laughs> don't, me Rick, me don't, <laughs> don't me in with that. Don't me in with that. with that. This is his first show. Well, the good thing is he didn't say that about the podcast, so it's okay. Can you read what he uh, said? Can you read what he said? Subject was losers, and the body just <laughs> said you are an absolute fool. So unfortunately, he didn't. Make any uh, allusions to you know what he was talking about. We can't address. He's having a bad day. It's okay. Everyone everyone has their days. And you know what? I appreciate anyone who comes to this fight. We appreciate anyone who is corresponding with us. We appreciate, it. and we're going to try to address some of these on the call. So, John Lynch, not spelled the way you'd think, uh, talked about the Eagles here. He said a few things. The Eagles are not going to draft three cornerbacks in the first four rounds.
1: Trying to I crack seriously knowledge. doubt
0: if Ifo ekpre Alamu last in the third round. Denzel Perryman is still there in round two. He thinks the Eagles will take him and get more offensive line help later in the draft. So let's, uh, let's address the first point. The Eagles, do you think they'll draft cornerbacks early in this upcoming draft? It's tough to tell, especially when everyone's talking about they have you know some sort of uh, infatuation with Marcus Mariota, which obviously with Chip Kelly's background, it's not too hard to understand why, but uh, the Eagles are a team like the Seahawks. Like the Chiefs in recent years were you really don't know where they're going to go. They're a very, very, very difficult team to forecast. Uh, when you have somebody like Chip Kelly, one of the college coaches that's come in and been immediately successful, I think part of the reason, a big part of the reason why they're so successful is because they know how to evaluate college talent better than most. And they don't come from the traditional coaching trees. Uh, you look at Harbach when he, Harbach when he came in, very successful. Pete Carroll when he came in, very successful. There was a while when College coaches just weren't cutting it in the NFL. I mean, Nick Saban was cutting oh. Steve Spurrier, Bobby Petrino, for a while, for a, for a good while. Pete Carroll was an NFL guy, but in his first inch, that doesn't really make sense. But uh, but this new age of uh, of college coaches coming to the NFL, part of their allure is how they can uh, find players to fit their system, and I think that's what Chip Kelly is almost better at than anybody. So it's really, really difficult to project what he's going to do, especially with uh, you know the variable of Marcus Mariota. How about you, Frankie? I know you know the Eagles pretty well. The Cowboys play them twice a year. What are your, what are your thoughts? Do you think they'll take, uh, cornerbacks or Denzel Perryman if he falls to them? I mean, honestly, I think the Eagles need to work on their defense. I don't think they have a problem scoring points. The only time they have a problem scoring points is when they fall behind and they become one dimensional. But when they stay in their, in their regular, you know, fast paced, short passing game attack, they can do some, some serious damage. But their defense just – they've had some, some stars. They've had a decent group, but they get injured. And I really think, you know, unfortunately, Chip Kelly's probably going to go for the sexy pick. But – because I think that's just who he is. That That's what makes his offense. He needs speed on offense. And even if it's every year drafting a speed guy like the Raiders used to do. I mean, he might have to do that. But they need to – They need to revamp their defense. They they throw stars in there, and they think, you know, Jason Bavins are going to kind of turn them around, but it just hasn't worked. So I think you shy away from the offensive side, and you work on your defense, try to stop some people. Trying to stop, you know, the Cowboys and the Giants, who usually have pretty good, if not top five, offenses. You know, you got to work on it. So I think that's where you're looking for the Eagles. Well, with the Eagles mock draft, looking at it right now, obviously the mock draft changes every time we add someone or delete someone. Uh, When we move it around, it has a domino effect on the entire draft. So sometimes you can look at it, there might be three cornerbacks, and that might be by design, it might be, you know, just how it fell when we uh, update the first round. So right now we actually have them taking P.J. Williams in the first round. A.J. Cann, the guard from South Carolina in the second round. Tyrus Thompson, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma in the third round. Terrell Bridge, the safety from Syracuse. Deontay Greenberry, the wide receiver from Houston, also in the fourth round. Brian Bennett, the old Oregon uh, QB, who actually played at Southeastern Louisiana in the fifth round. Devontae Davis, wide receiver, UNLV. Taquan Edwards is a cornerback from New Mexico in the seventh round. DJ, tell us why uh, Why do these picks make sense?
1: Well, there, there's a number of different directions they can go. I really don't think the Eagles are going to go into this draft saying, this is the area we got to concentrate in round one. There, there's a couple of different areas, and some might be, just to kind of get that top player, might not really be the position to need. Don't rule out the Eagles taking a big wide receiver, kind of like they took someone very tall with Jordan Matthews. It really panned out. The fact is, they took that, that chance, a one year deal, uh, to bring back uh, the the oft injured wide receiver, um, and uh, you know, getting rid of uh, getting rid of Deshaun Jackson. And, and the fact is that uh, Jeremy Macklin may actually have kind of exceeded expectations, and, and the money that he might command might be a little bit more than what the Eagles are willing to pay, especially with his injury history. Uh, so I really think it's going to come down to the Eagles have two big people they are going to have to look to re-sign in the seat. It's going to be Jeremy Mack, Jeremy Macklin. It's going to be Brandon Graham, the former first-round pick out of Michigan, who's doing a better job at, at that outside linebacker position. He's not the full-time starter, but he's the guy you can put on either side, and he's really a valuable asset to the Eagles. And he's really going to get a payday. He's It looks like if he hits the open market, he's a guy that's going to get about twenty five to $30 million as a situational pass rusher has played well against the run, better than, than we've seen in the last few years. But I think one of those two guys is probably going to walk, and I think that could dictate where the Eagles actually go early. I do think it's, it's very ironic that what I've talked about on the show for about the last month, where people were you know, talking about pipe dreams of Marcus Mariota, and that you know it's a possibility, but the Eagles are really going to have to give up a lot to move up that high, and I kept saying, watch out for Brian Bennett. He's a, he was actually the starter ahead of Marcus Mariota, Mariota got his chance because of the injury that uh, Bennett suffered as, as a freshman, and he just kind of took the chance and ran with it. Bennett was a, was a five-star recruit, and Marcus Mariota was a three-star recruit. And I've, I've talked about the fact that you know, he's a guy that knows the system. He could be going back, and lo and behold, every article you saw this week was, oh, the Oregon quarterback that everyone's talking about at the Senior Bowl, and it's not Marcus Mariota, and Eagles are in love with him. So I hope people have really been listening to the podcast for about the last month and a half because we called that long ago. And um, A.J. can in the second round, because the Eagles, we really saw how effective they were two years ago when all of their offensive linemen started all 16 games. Of course, that was not the case this year. And uh, I, I think there's there's one key component um, uh, along the line, and I think there's been a lot of injuries along the interior. We saw Evan Mathis go down. Um, uh, Todd Harriman is actually the longest tenured Eagle, and uh, I think he's probably going to be let go this year. So A.J. can kind of gives them – that long-term solution, an interior lineman, I think we're going to see the Eagles go somewhere there early in the, in the early rounds of the draft.
0: Quick story on Brandon Graham. I actually met him in a bar in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right before the draft. I said to him, do you think you will go in the first round? He said, I'm going to go in the top ten. <laughs> and I started laughing because at that time he was, he was a fringe prospect. And uh, he ended up going number 13 overall. Made me eat pie there, but he was actually a very nice guy. I made him sound very brash, but uh, he said it just, you know, confidently, but innocently almost
1: as, as well. I hope yeah, he does get a lot his, of big payday. There, there, there were a lot of teams looking to move up to get him that year. The Eagles actually moved up, and the speculation was uh, a lot of the Eagles faithful, when they made the move to move up, they actually thought they were going to draft Earl Thomas. So Brandon Graham is. Certainly not to be a pretty good player, not the impact right out of the gate, but uh, I think a lot of Eagle players would kind of like a do-over on that, seeing what Earl Thomas has done in the, in the league at this point.
0: And I think that, that year there was a lot of unproven defensive ends. Um, I mean, great ones. Jason Pierre-Paul was, was still young. Derek Morgan was a junior as well. Um, so I think they were looking for some more leadership. And Brandon Graham had just led Michigan to a successful season. Yeah, they were, that, was, that was a Decent year for a uh, defensive line. I mean, Nnamdi Sue is there, uh, went in that draft. Gerald McCoy, Tyson Alualu, who went extremely early but turned out to be, uh, you know, not so bad. Dan Williams. So, yeah, so how about Denzel Perryman? Do, do you see him being a fit
1: for the Eagles, DJ? He's a fit, but I really think that uh, that they're, they're pretty they're... – pretty safe along the outside. It looks like the only uh, linebacker that the Eagles look like they're, they're going to be losing if, if Brandon Graham does come back is going to be Casey Matthews. So we could finally – uh, even though he played a little bit better last year, we've kind of always affectionately referred to him as the uh, uh, the, the Frank Stallone of the Matthews family. So he could finally be gone. But uh, like Pray Alamo of course, he's got the ACL tear, so I don't think he's going to be going in the first round. And he did measure in a little bit short at the senior bowl, under 5'10", and has some shorter arms. Um, when you've got uh, that wingspan, is something that, that's pretty important. We talked about that with Robert Gallery in the year he was drafted, and, and the fact that, that last year Darquiz Denard actually slipped a little bit because of the length of his arms. And that's something with uh, Alamu, even though you know he's not playing now, obviously. Being under 5'10", and the arms being a little bit on the shorter side, I'm, I'm thinking he's probably going to slip into the third round. But there, there's going to be some teams taking a chance on him. He could go in, in round two, but I don't see him lasting or, or going in the first round with the injury that he suffered.
0: Well, Zach, I got another email, and I think this one's for you. Uh, it's not for you particularly, but I, I think you'll like the the email. It's actually one I agree with. It's Mark Ralston says, um, sarcastically, just what the Browns need. Doriel Green Beckham. We have him going in a round to the Cleveland Browns. He said, Doriel Green Beckham, another moody, stupid a, who can't keep himself on a playing field. Pair him with Josh Gordon and the Browns love, matching suspended people. I'm improvising a little bit. The stupidity of this selection gives the Browns history with Gordon and Manziel is incomprehensible. He asks, what are we smoking? Do you agree with that? Uh, that uh, well, I mean, that. Uh, yeah. I agree with the fact that uh, Cleveland probably needs a receiver, especially with uh, Josh Gordon's suspension limiting. Uh, I, he's got a point when uh, – you know when you're having problem keeping one receiver on the field to get another receiver with a history of you know suspensions. Uh, I would say actually he says 12 picks should be a wide receiver like Kevin White, Devontae Parker, Kevin Funchess. Yeah, I'd Strong. say I, I'm, I'm looking at our right now. I'd say I would say I would say Devonte Parker over a, a Green Beckham. You know, even if you like Green Beckham more, just because of a, from a personality standpoint, the last thing you need is like another young. Challenge mind not challenge, but you know susceptible mind you know being uh exposed to Johnny Ranzell, the party animal, so I, I think no matter who you draft, you're going after you know people that are kind of going in the opposite direction but um I don't mind the Malcolm Brown pick for Cleveland uh Green Beckham's a little high I mean for any mock draft you're that's that's tough i mean it's tantalizing size, but I mean, I don't see him going over Devontae Parker in and, and, and any situation. I've watched a lot of Greenback and play, and, uh, well, I mean, we haven't really seen too much of him recently, but Devontae Parker coming back from injury was, you know, pretty much unstoppable. I I think that uh, there's a chance, you know, Minnesota sweeps him up at 11 because he played with Bridgewater. So if that happens, I'd say maybe wait and get somebody in the second round because I really, really, really like um, uh,
1: yeah, Tyler Lockett. Lockett. Uh, Tyler Lockett, yeah,
0: Tyler Lockett. I'd say get somebody, like, Tyler Lockett or or maybe trade back, or maybe, maybe even this sounds like this is somebody that's going to really, really rise. He's he's an all-Ohio kid, and at the combine, he's going to rise. He's got incredible ball skills. They shouldn't throw him it enough. It's Devin Smith. I, I mean, I would take Devin Smith. That might be a little high. Maybe yeah, yeah. yeah with, here we go. with the second pick. I'm, I'm just calling it <laughs> like, like the it is reason where they the won the, the national Martin championship. Didn't. But maybe Tyler Lockett. I, 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 I love Tyler Lockett. I almost made a rule that if you talk about any anything Ohio State related during this call, I was going to mute you. But I uh, I figured I'd save it because uh,
1: you earned it. You earned it last week. Yeah. My question here is, what are we smoking? What are the Browns smoking? They took Josh Gordon when he had a history. Actually, uh, supplemental draft, second round. They're the ones <laughs> that drafted Johnny Manziel. Um, aren't we actually just filling in the void? <laughs> Seems like we're kind of following suit here. So, so, something the Browns would do. I don't know. Uh, I think that this email actually took a task to the uh, defensive tackle, um, saying that the Browns really don't need anyone that high. When you're playing in a division with uh, Jeremy Hill being an emerging young talent, uh, Le'Veon Bell being close to an MVP candidate, and we saw what the Steelers could not do in the playoffs without him, why wouldn't you need a defensive tackle when you're playing talents like that a quarter quarter of your NFL schedule? So. As far as rising talents, I think we're going to see it on corner. I've been on record making a very bold statement that Jacoby Glenn, the redshirt sophomore, actually out of uh, Central Florida, is going to be the first corner off this board. Another person that's going really going to rise, Quentin Rollins, out of Miami, Ohio, really showed well at the Senior Bowl, and we're talking about a guy with seven interceptions. Just shows amazing instincts, and he really only played one year of uh, football there. If, if people remember, he sees uh, uh, second team all Ohio Valley, um, um, conference there. He was the point guard for the Miami of Ohio basketball team for four years. Was actually a dual athlete this past year. I think the NFL scouts have really kind of fallen in love with his athleticism and what he's done. Mm-hmm. Just coming in there one year and, and being second in the, in the nation interceptions and all the uh, balls that I, I believe it was 18 uh, passes defense during his senior year and really showed well during the, the, the week of practice at the Senior Bowl. I think he's a guy that could find himself in the first round as well and is going to take a lot of people by surprise. Frankie, what do you think the Browns' biggest needs are?
0: I think you got to go with a wide receiver. I think, in a way, you know, some people might say you need to build a foundation. Go for the go for the lines. They have decent lines, but I think you you go for almost a flashy pick, and you get you take a chance on Greenback. And we already have Manziel. I mean, why not take take some heat off of take some attention off him? Maybe he'll actually fall into his his groove a little more. You know, otherwise. If the spotlights on him I don't see, unfortunately, as much as I do like him, I don't see him really thriving in that system in any way. So maybe you just take another gamble, as stupid as it sounds, as DJ said, I mean, not smart to take another, you know, flashy, very, uh, risky, but high upside kind of guy like Green Beckham. So maybe that's the smart play and, you know, give it give another shot with Manziel with a star receiver and Try to build around him a little bit, you know, in the later rounds. But take the flashy pick. I don't I don't see what you really have to lose right now if you're the Browns. That's a good point. He could be like the Mike Evans to uh, Johnny Manziel in Cleveland.
1: So. I think the only other uh, possibility, we're not talking about flashy picks, they really took a chance and picked Marquevious Mingo a lot higher than a lot of people suspected a couple of years ago. He really should have flashes, but it's just for a couple plays a game and then he disappears for long stretches. So if they're able to land some type of consistent pass rushing threat, Early on, maybe even like a Vic Beasley, it's a possibility there too because they've just not gotten that consistent play out of Barkebius Mingo. Again, another flashy pick, someone they took a chance on that hasn't quite panned out yet. Yeah,
0: I was on a Cleveland radio show that year when Mingo came out, and I actually predicted that the Browns would take Mingo, and but I also said they would regret it because I, I hated him as a prospect. I just thought he was all potential and, and – and no real substance, and I think when it comes to the NFL you need more than just potential you need actually you need discipline and motivation and a mean streak and everything so i I could see that I like the I like the idea of that uh, you know the thing about it, a team like the Browns is that they've addressed so many positions in the last few years, and it's tough to know whether or not they feel settled with those guys or not. Um, you know, even drafting guys you know, when they drafted Mitchell Schwartz and John Hughes on the offensive and defensive line, I remember, you know, I was questioning those, but those guys are still on the roster and they might still you know they still have some use for Cleveland. So it's it all depends on how the you know, the new coaching uh the new coaching assistants think and the GMs and I think it will be interesting to see how the Browns actually utilize their picks this year and whether or not they think they're a few a few picks away or whether or not they try to trade back and really you know, build out a fan, foundation with the late-round picks. DJ, um, you know, what team that's out there do you think needs the most picks? It's pretty obvious that the team's up front, but some of the teams up front of the draft, like Tampa Bay and Tennessee, I mean, we thought before the year they were pretty close, but still... With a couple of lucky breaks, they could be close. I mean, which team really needs the most amount of picks going into this draft?
1: Just the most amount of sheer picks, I would say the Raiders, just with what they have on the football field. Uh, maybe just the Jets' entire offense. <laughs> they could just scrap that and, and draft an entire new offense. That might be a a good idea. But I think those are the the two teams really, really just need sheer picks and just have so many needs in so many areas. Because again, I. Tampa Bay for having the top pick. I can't remember a team with the number one pick overall in recent years that are, was in better shape than Tampa. They're really not that far away, especially playing in a division where a sub five hundred team won the title last year. So that's, I mean, they were, I guess, theoretically alive for a division title till like week thirteen. It was pretty ridiculous. So it, Texans it weren't that last. Much <laughs> it may not take much to actually tip the scales in that division and go from a, from a, a worse to worse
0: you definitely gotta go with uh the Raiders or the Jaguars. Uh actually I would almost take the Jaguars over the Raiders. Other than young pass catchers, I mean they they really don't have a running back. Denard Robinson isn't the running back in the future. Defensively they're you know mediocre at best. I still think they don't have a quarterback. And uh I mean they could definitely use the number one receiver. They're they're the furthest team away. I think if you were to you know, bet on a team to win the Super Bowl, you'd have to put them uh, at the highest possible odds. I actually think Oakland's not in that bad of shape because they have a quarterback. Uh, they have the same type of young pass catchers, uh like Jacksonville does, but they also have, you know, a pretty solid defense, it's a surprisingly good defense and Clay Max is a superstar in the making. Probably better uh against him than almost anybody in the NFL this year. And that's the pass rushing skills kick in who's going to be uh you know, the complete package. Um, I would probably go I mean, the Jets are hard to argue outside of Dick Mangold. What do you really have on the offensive side of the ball, but um, in Oakland, I feel like they're kind of, unfortunately, they're, uh, they're, they feel success very quickly, like a, a small amount of success. So I think they're actually pretty kind of happy with Derek Carr. So they're going to run with him. And, I mean, they have some talent around. It's not too, you know, too great. But I do like DJ's point about Tampa Bay. They are in pretty good shape with the number, all, number one overall pick. And, uh you know, like you said, they weren't even too far out of contention this year. So you could easily see the, the Bucks having a solid year getting into the playoffs and maybe maybe getting a home playoff game, winning one, and, you know, see what they can do. So I don't think the Bucks are in terrible shape. I think the Titans are, you know, Titans, Jaguars need a lot of help, a lot of help, both with their foundations as well as skill players. So that's where you need to. You know, trade down, eat a bunch of picks, you know, grab a bunch of picks and just start taking chances on guys. You know, that's the, uh, the bottom six. They need, they need a lot of help. So I, I agree with the strategy of just, you know, trying to hoard picks, trade down and just address all those 18, you know, 16 positions that you need to really refill. And who do you think, which team besides your cowboys has the most depth and really could do without this draft if, if they had to. Honestly, it's gotta be Seattle. Who else besides Seattle? I mean, they're not only are they so deep, they're so young. The only question about Seattle really is Marshawn Lynch, if he's gonna come back. Yeah, maybe they could use another receiver, but you know, what's what what are they not aging in any way? They could win this game and go on to try to, you know, make a three peat. Um, I have a good buddy that's a Seahawks fan, and we've talked about if we can't re-sign Demarco Murray, and Lynch doesn't want to stay in Seattle. But at this point, it almost seems like he doesn't want to play football anymore, which is sad because he's just a man-child on the field, as you all know. But what if Seattle lands Demarco Murray and Marshawn Lynch comes to Dallas? Could throw a nice little little change-up. I think it. Uh, to give us the tough... Not very logical. Not very logical change-up. I'm, I'm not even really looking at the logistics of it being possible, but it's not that far-fetched. I mean, there's a good chance Dallas will not be able to sign DeMarco and Marshawn Lynch, like I said. It's, I would be surprised if he goes back to Seattle or plays football at all. But if he wants to, maybe he wants to come to the bright lights of Jerry World and light it up there. Sure, that's exactly what he needs, more bright lights. The guy can't even talk in front of a camera. <laughs> Uh, We'll take them on. on. We take on all shapes and sizes down there in Arlington. (laughs) Yeah, you sure do. You sure do. Another set of balls for uh, Tony Robb. Yes, sir. Zach, who's your team that uh, could do without the draft next year if they had to? I mean, yeah, no team can do without the draft, but I'd have to say that the deepest team is – the team that really doesn't have that many needs, I'd say, obviously other than Seattle, surprisingly Dallas. Dallas is really, really good, and if you look at Pro Football Focus, they're uh, they're solid on pretty much every position. Uh, if they lose Demarco Murray, uh, they're, this is why I would take Seattle over them because I think Christine Michael is going to be a, a pretty good player for uh, Seattle. Both of them, it's ironic because both of them are going to need running backs, but uh, Dallas is another team in that boat where. Uh, They could pretty much field the same team as this year and have a really good shot at winning the Super Bowl. And, D.J., um, let's
1: pick some besides Dallas and Seattle. Who's your choice? Well, if this team had a quarterback, I would say they would probably – there's a lot of questions since you can't win in the postseason. I would say possibly Cincinnati. Cincinnati's really stacked at a lot of places. I think the injury to A.J. Green really hampered him there. So possibly just a little more depth at wide receiver maybe just a free agent signing someone with a little bit of season that can come in and help that pass rush. That's a team that relied so much and got a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And then last year they dropped all the way, all the way to last in the EFC and and, in sacks, I believe it was only 20 or 21 on the year, just a little bit over one a game. But you know, the question surrounding Andy Dalton, I I just really think that he's unfortunately just, they, they gave him that large contract, but it's just not proven that he can take them to the next level. They get to the playoffs and they just fizzle. And I think if you had another quarterback there, you do a little bit more with that passing game in the playoffs. You've got a, a good two-headed uh, running back combo there. You've got a, a pretty pretty solid defense. The, the secondaries perform better. Overall, if there was there was just a quarterback there for, for Cincinnati, if they were able to figure that out, everywhere else on the field, Seattle, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Cincinnati to me is really um, one of the most complete teams out there that got a lot of depth.
0: My guys are the Green Bay Packers, the team I talked about last week a lot. Uh, I just look at their roster, and every year they just have late round guys stepping out like Sam Barrington. And when you look at their roster from top to bottom, I mean their safeties—they're all young. They're uh, they're set there. Cornerbacks—they're young. Linebackers—they have depth there, especially. And now, this assuming that their free agents stay, um, you know, guys like Randall Cobb stick around. I mean you still have Jared Boykin there, you have uh Aberderis from Wisconsin, you have Jordy Nelson, I think their offensive line. Uh if everyone's back healthy, they're set. I mean you have you have a guy you have a guy like uh David Bak- Bakhtiari and Brian Belega
1: Colorado. Yeah. I know it really helped them this year with Brian Belaga actually finding the field. Uh they had two seasons where basically they had no production there, so I think the only other big hole there is going to be a defensive tackle. I think there's going to be some questions about who's going to be left patrolling the middle of the field. I think maybe using one of those top picks maybe somewhere in the first three rounds on a a future stud that they can plug in, maybe more of a run stuff for that B.J. Raji type that's more the, the nose tackle, possibly the second round with that Jordan Phillips uh, player from Oklahoma. I'm not as high on him, but uh, I know that, there's a number of teams that could really get uh, a Jordan Phillips type just in the middle to kind of anchor that line. They've got enough athleticism along the outside where he can just open up some holes for some linebackers or for some of those defensive ends to come in and make some plays.
0: And do you not think B.J. Raji is coming back next year healthy to
1: this roster? Oh, I, I, unfortunately, he could be a cap casualty. I think he could be someone that uh, they, they take a look at, at what's what they're going to get out of him and uh, – I think they could cut their losses, and he could be someone that's actually on the street, one of those big names that we hear um, near the, the beginning of the season or the last round of cuts where uh, someone's suddenly available. We always see a couple of star names each and every year. To I me, mean, B.J. Raji could be one of those players this year.
0: Who are some other players that could be cap casualties,
1: DJ. Well, I think another name. I mean, the running backs, when they get a little bit older, we're talking about the future of Marshawn Lynch. But also, I think uh, Frank Gore is going to be a name. I actually thought it could have happened this year uh, with with the the drafting of Carlos Hyde, and unfortunately thought that uh, we'd get a little bit more out of Marcus Lattimore, and unfortunately he chose to walk away from the game. I thought they were really kind of building a stable there, and we would see Frank Gore kind of walk away. But I think that that he's a name. I think we could possibly see the end of Andre Johnson uh, as well in Houston. And we've seen DeAndre Hopkins – uh, put up some pretty good numbers there and maybe assert himself as a number one receiver. So now where just a couple years ago, there was always talk about who do they get to compliment Andre Johnson? Who do they get to compliment Andre Johnson? I think this year it's going to be more like, who are they going to get to compliment DeAndre Hopkins? Because uh, there's really an option on, uh, for the contract for, for Andre Johnson, I believe it's about an $8 million roster bonus where we could actually see him walk, where, where the Texans could try and develop some more young talent there in camp and really try and go in a different direction and try and save himself some money and actually go with another another player, although he's been wonderful for that organization for so many years. Uh, that's probably another big name that, that we could see uh, actually being cut loose before the season begins.
0: Zach, what about you? Any big names that you think are going to be cut before the season? Uh, yeah, well, obviously Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, something's got to happen because he's not going to get that much money next year. Uh, RG3 is most likely going to be cut uh I'm not sure if we're talking about being cut or people being re-signed, but obviously Marshawn Lynch, DeMarco Murray, Randall Cobb, uh, is another name, but uh, I mean, I think the biggest name, like, like an Andre Johnson type name is Larry Fitzgerald, and I think people have been talking about it for almost a year, year now, in a storyline. So, uh, I don't know, I, I, I can, I see him, if, if he doesn't restructure the contract, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Minnesota, you know, where he's from, where he grew up, and uh, I think he'd be a perfect fit for them. Frankie, anyone who are missing? Uh, Brandy Carr. <laughs> you guys probably don't care about Brandon Carr. I understand, but no, he's um, terrible. He's terrible. he needs to be cut. I know. We gotta get rid of him. We gotta get rid of him. <laughs> um, outside of Brandon Carr, I would probably say, what do you do? I, I don't know if he gets cut, but I think when the Eagles get another body at quarterback, you got to do something with Nick Foles. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what you do with him because he's got the value, but I could almost see them. That's Harlan and Mariota. You, yeah, get him in for Mariota, but then where does where does he move from there? Does, you know, a Jacksonville come and get him, take a chance on him? But they have Henny, I understand. I'm sorry, they have Bortles. Um, they, they have Henny, too. That's, <laughs> they have Henny, too, that's true. And uh, none of them are really, really working out. So I think the Eagles are – I know we already talked about them at length, but – The Eagles have a lot of different directions they can move. So do the Redskins. You know, they both have to really, you know, the Cowboys are obviously doing well and are pretty stacked, but you have to watch out for the Giants because the Giants not only have a bunch of talent now, especially with Odell, but when was the last time you saw the Giants have two, you know, mediocre or poor seasons in a row? It doesn't really happen.
1: They usually come
0: back with a vengeance. So I'm obviously looking over my shoulder for the Giants always but this year I think you know if they make some some smart moves which they usually do um I think they could you know the Giants could could roar back for to be in contention for a division title and and further
1: and the, and the Giants could be on the brink one of the things that I have uh, that I've heard in a couple of circles here don't be surprised if the Giants if that is actually the landing point for Indomitian Sioux I believe there's a very strong possibility kind of a short list of teams that he'd kind of be looking at heavily that, that would show an interest in him. I think Donovan too in a, in a giant uniform makes a lot of sense. I think it's – they're a team that I think could actually kind of look past some of the off the – I shouldn't say off the field issues, but some of the on-field issues you get with him and some of the distractions and the, the quote pretty play. But, you know, we, we've all seen what a difference maker he is. Um, and another name that I think none of us did, did mention, of course, Troy Polamalu, and what's going to happen in Pittsburgh there, uh, Jason Worlds as well, If, if uh, what they're going to do with that contract situation. There's probably a little bit of turnover in Pittsburgh, but again, just a little bit of tweaking there. And I think Pittsburgh will do something smart in the draft like they had done with uh, Ryan Chazier last year. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll make some good moves. They – and uh, Zach's made a good point how they normally don't go after the secondary very early, but even if they do go a little bit later, we'll probably see a, a player or two taken there, someone who they'll work in or by the end of the season eventually probably make a, a huge impact on that lineup. So I think Troy Polamalu is another name. And, again, wherever Indominus Suh is going to end up, uh, someone's going to be a, a big winner uh, as far as free agency. He, this is one of the bigger names or bigger off-seasons that I think that we're looking forward to as far as one player just landing somewhere and how it could really change the, the tide within division and maybe even a conference with his signing. And, and the last thing there with, with Nick Foles, you know, we, we are hearing some rumors again, some, some stuff today out of uh, St. Louis actually being inter- interested in the possibility of actually making a deal with Philadelphia for, for Nick Foles and what they're going to do with uh, their quarterback situation and Sam Bradford, Bradford being eternally hurt that maybe that's the direction that, that St. Louis goes.
0: I do I'll chime in with Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, uh, Paul Mollies are in tenure. That's the way they operate in Pittsburgh. Uh, Warlands is the question mark, whether he's coming back. Uh, and I almost think they, they might have outsought themselves last year when they took uh, Shazier over C.J. Mosa, but we'll, we'll see. And that's coming from an Ohio State fan. Uh, TJ, we have a couple minutes left here. I just wanted to ask you about the senior bowl, who you thought were the the biggest risers and fallers in that one.
1: Uh, a couple of people along the defensive line. Carl Davis. Uh, he he actually did win the award for the best player at any position uh, during the the week of drills. The defensive tackle from Iowa measured in a little bit uh, taller, closer to six five than that. A lot of people expected him to be in that six three to six four range, but six five three twenty one looked very very agile. I think he was a someone you would you would say would be a big winner. I think the running backs really looked well. This is. Uh the past couple of senior bowls, running back has really not been an area that's that they've been known for where, where prospects have shined. But uh Amir Abdullah played very well. Uh David Johnson, the the actually the prospect out of uh northern Iowa, who you know put up some some very good numbers and is a very good pass receiver had a had uh in four games against I think it is a one one a talent or FBS talent as you'd say. Three of the last four games he's played against an opponent like that, he's actually put over uh, 100 yards receiving as well. So I think it was against Iowa when Northern Iowa played Iowa this year, he had 203 yards receiving. He's a And he's a guy at uh, about 225, 230 pounds. Could even be uh, – you could use him as a dual threat, maybe even use him as that H-back type as well as a running back. So I think he's a guy that kind of intrigued a lot of people. Uh, Quentin Rollins, who I talked about, the – Cornerback for Miami of Ohio, who's only played one year of college football after basically having to choose between basketball and football, it was kind of like uh, all-world in Ohio in both sports, went the basketball route and is now kind of gravitating more toward football. Zach had brought up about Tyler Lockett. He showed uh, showed himself very well. Uh, Devontae Davis uh, looks to be a probably a fifth to seventh-round pick, big wide receiver out of UNLV. I think the fact that he showed up close to 230 pounds and was still able to run some pretty crisp routes, and I think if he's able to keep that weight and still runs in the four five to four five five range, carrying that much weight, he's going to attract a lot of attention as well.
0: Uh, yeah, I think all there's a lot of receivers that look good. Sammy Coates looked good. Lockett looked good. Of course, I think Devin Smith looked good. Uh, and also, like like DJ said, running backs. I mean, uh, um, Abdullah won the MVP, but you know, Cobb looked impressive. David Johnson looked impressive. And I think uh, for me, the what I took away from that game. Was uh, Yale's um, what's that kid's name? Justin Varga. Tyler Varga. No, Tyler Varga. Tyler Varga, yes. Yeah, Tyler Varga. I mean, every time he touched the ball, he looked at it and uh, you know my brother playing Ivy League football. I heard about him, so it was it was cool to see an Ivy leaguer, you know, tear it up. I'm not sure if uh, you know that's gonna get him drafted, but it was definitely a storyline.
1: Yeah, I think there he's kind of similar to a Zach Zenner out of uh, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, who. They're good running backs, and I think that possibly as, as like a small fullback or someone who can catch a lot of the backfield and make an impact. And, you know, he ran, really uh, was very decisive in hitting the holes and really just seemed to make good decisions. Where a player like Zach Zanard, who wasn't at the Pro Bowl, I mean at the uh, Senior Bowl, but he did play at the East West Shrine game, didn't look as impressive. Although he is, I believe, the only person in the history to actually have three rushing seasons. in the season. Uh, and, again, South, South Dakota State, a very good team. Uh, at that level of play, I thought that maybe he would get uh, a little bit of some looks as a fullback. Unfortunately, he didn't perform as well. Measured in a little bit smaller, so he's probably a seventh round or or free agent sign, signee somewhere that could get a shot. Probably looks like he'll be on a practice squad for about a year. But uh, Vargas showed very well. Uh TJ Clemens looked pretty raw too. That was a, that was somebody that could you know been the first
0: tackle off the board. And there was a lot of buzz coming in, and uh, he really didn't look the part of you know the top tackle. All right. Well, Frankie, thanks for joining us tonight. Zach, DJ, you too. Everyone, I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. Any last words? Hey, Frankie, tonight? thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. was fun. Maybe something to tell your kids. Do you ever have any? <laughs> How do you know I don't really have them? Hey, They're going to be Cowboys fans. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's sad. No, they're probably Seahawks fans. <laughs> <laughs> they're anything like you? They'll probably grow up uh, rooting for the team that was winning championships when they were, when they were young. So they'll be Seattle Oh, yeah, fans. so I uh, yeah. if they to oh, be like something, they won't grow up at all. <laughs> I'll make them Raiders fans, whatever. Then, you know, anything that happens will just be a plot. Anything good that happens, yeah. they'll yeah. be, a, you know. Los Angeles Raiders. Yeah, you know, sure. if you want them to work a draft site, then make them Raiders fans. They'll be interested in the draft every year. It'll be great. So. <laughs> that is a good point. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Uh, have a good week. And next week will be our last format with the uh, – any real NFL talk, and then it will be all draft from here until uh, until May. So Earl Thomas, Earl Thomas, Super Bowl MVP. You heard it
1: here first. We did. Any any other guesses for Super Bowl MVP? I'm guessing Bobby Wagner. I'm thinking defense as well. So Earl Thomas is a good is a good selection.
0: I'll go Russell Wilson. Seattle wins thirty to twenty four.
1: And I'm gonna go with Vince Wilfork shutting down uh,
0: Marshawn Lynch. If Vince Wilfork wins the MVP, I will give you a million dollars, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jared, so wins on. the MVP and
1: he's two people in a, in a car this week. So,
0: yeah, two people. No, Jared, he kidding me. Jared could win an apartment. All right, everybody. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again. And have a great week. <laughs> Say goodbye